In the Old Testament, God promises that he will provide a cure that will solve our spiritual ills. He says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Again, if you look at the promise, that's a big promise. He promised to put his spirit in us and move us, impel us to follow his decrees and be careful to keep his laws. And this cure is the new covenant. We live on the far side of the cure being made available in Hebrews chapter 10. As we're working our way through the book of Hebrews, it is a book that talks about the new covenant in a fair degree of length. And in chapter 10, the writer focuses on this cure and reveals to us how new covenant influence operates, which is important for us. So if we want to be able to appreciate and internalize this cure, Hebrews 10 tells us about how the influence of the new covenant works. Look what it says in, um, we'll work our way through the passage, Hebrews 10, starting verse 1. The writer says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What it says to us and and that the Old Covenant and the rites and the rituals, all the things that prescribed, all the sacrifices, bulls and goats and these kind of offerings and those types of sacrifices, all those things were unable to remove consciousness of sins. Uh, This was plain enough, the writer says, because if they could have removed consciousness of sins, then you wouldn't need to repeat them. So if they could affect the cleansing of consciousness, the writer is making this point, if they could do that, then you wouldn't have to do them anymore. But the fact that these these sacrifices need to be done again and again and again, you would think that that would affect a confidence in the removal of sins, but it did not. That's what the writer is saying. If the old order had possessed true cleansing power, the sacrifices would need to be repeated. The truth is the repetition, the repetition creates a problem. It says in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. There is a number of feasts. One of the, big ones in Judaism is the Day of Atonement, which was an annual kind of revisiting of sins and a removal of accountability. Um, It would not have occurred to an observant Jew at the time to indicate that this annual Day of Atonement feast would be a reminder of sins. They would say, no, 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 no. It is a removal of sins, but the writer here is saying, okay, perhaps, but in as much as a removal is 
dependent on a remembrance. Uh, the remembrance of sins, it's not just about our remembrance of sins. When God remembers sins, he has to do something with them, and it involves sins being brought to his attention, appropriate action on his part, either pardon or accountability. And what the writer indicates is that coming to God again and again and again and again and again for forgiveness after forgiveness after forgiveness after forgiveness creates a sense of, you know what, I'm not sure if I'm forgiven or not. And that's what the writer is making a pretty surprising point. But we can understand that, can't we? When we come to God, it's one thing to come to God once for this thing that we do wrong and we ask for his forgiveness. And But then we have to ask for his forgiveness again and again and again. Sometimes we stop asking and that's the question that we'll ask. Do we have, do we have to ask for forgiveness? But the ongoing asking it's almost like borrowing money from your dad dad can i borrow a couple of bucks oh, no problem a couple bucks no problem. but then if you have to ask him again and again and dads and you know, moms am i right <laughs> yeah sometimes they don't talk to the dads they talk to the moms or talk to them. yeah depending on how that works in your family um the problem with asking for forgiveness over and over and over and over again is that it becomes hard to believe they have it. And that's a problem. Because it's fundamental to being a Christian to believe you're forgiven. That's what we're going to see. It's fundamental. Um, look what it says in verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world... He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What it's saying is that Jesus came to do two things to remove one's operating system and to install a new one, to take away the old order and to replace it with the new order. The old order of the covenant, the old forgiveness, didn't work really well to bring a deep sense of forgiveness. The new order does what it says. Jesus replaces the old covenant with the new covenant. The rights of the old covenant were unable to cleanse the consciences of those who operated under its commands. Jesus replaces a covenant that is unable to cleanse the conscience with one that is able to do so. I remember, I grew up, as many of you know, in the, as a Catholic. And I, I enjoyed some of the, the rites and rituals of the church that I grew up in. 
um, confession on Saturday afternoons, and I'd walk out of the confessional having confessed the sins to a priest, and I felt clean. And then I, I came to a place at the University of Pennsylvania where somebody explained to me kind of the message in the Bible. Now, I had known the Bible, but I didn't know it really well. And what they explained to me, that Jesus came to die for my sins, and if I could, and if I would receive his death, all my sins could be forgiven. And I, I said, wait a minute, it can't be that easy. You have to go and ask for it again and again and again. That's, that was my, that was my hesitation. It didn't make much sense to me. I said, it can't be that easy. You can't get total forgiveness at one point. And so I kept on asking him question after question after question. This guy, Harvey Plug, got so sick of me. You know, what about the native in Africa? And I'd ask, what about this? And then finally, this guy, Harvey, I got him on the, um, it was a freshman year, and I, we were talking at, at the place that I live, and we were outside, and, and I started raising the question again. And he says, Mike, I can't answer all your questions. All I, I do ask, we don't know, what are you going to do with what you know? And at that point, I said, you sure this is the way it works? He said, yeah, and at that point, I I prayed, and I said, Jesus, if you're going to offer forgiveness, and if it comes like this, I want it. And what happened after that is I felt, well, I'd like to say I felt overjoyed and overwhelmed, but I didn't. I was a freshman at the university, then I ended up, over the next couple of years, doing more kind of bad things, you know, that's the way it is with college. I came to a place, though, where about a year and a half later, where I said, you know what, I really do want to know what you can do in my life. And I came to a place where I said, you know what, Jesus, do with me what you want. And it was after that that I it was a different experience. And then people said, but you know, Mike, you still have to ask for forgiveness. I said, okay, how does that work then? Because that's what I grew up in. He had to ask for forgiveness to get it. What I was told, well, it's, it's kind of like this. You don't really have to ask for forgiveness, but you'll want to. And it's like the way it is with the relationship. You know, somebody's going to forgive you, but if you don't ask them, you know, I'm sorry I did this, then it's the relationship might not be broken, but it's kind of harmed. And I heard things like that, but it really begs the question. Because the question really is this. Is our forgiveness contingent upon our confession? If you sin and don't confess it, can you be forgiven? That's the question, isn't it? And... I don't think there's a lot of clarity about that. I think that we've kind of heard a bunch of these these kind of things and those kind of things. If we don't confess our sins, are we still forgiven? Do you agree? Is that a good question? Huh? Yeah, kind of a good question. Um, In the case of forgiveness, old forgiveness, the answer seems to be no. Old forgiveness. Look what it says in Psalm 32.5. 
I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Confession here seems to be contingent upon confession. If I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So I confessed my sin, and because I confessed my sin, it was forgiven. Uh, The new covenant seems to change this. And this, this, but the new covenant seems to, especially what it says in this passage, it's going to suggest something different that, well, let's look what it says. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Perfected is a word there that describes somebody who can draw near to God. It doesn't mean morally perfect. It means you're able to come, you are Okay, you're able to come and connect with him. Um, it says, and the Holy Spirit all, also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he asks, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. What it describes here, it describes and contrasts repeatable sacrifices and offerings with sacrifice and offerings that don't need to be repeated. The old forgiveness has repeatable sacrifices and offerings that they have to come up again and again and again. And that removal is also a remembrance of sin. It keeps you stuck In a forgiveness loop, the new order of forgiveness seems to be different. It says when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. The thing that a priest under the old covenant never did, he never sat down. You know why? His work was never done. Sin would come up again and again and again. So all the time that he was doing the things that priests need to do to get forgiveness from God and extend it to the people, his work was never done. Because one sacrifice, it wasn't able to be effective relative to cleansing the conscience. But when Jesus did one sacrifice for all time, once and for all, you know what he did? He sat down. You know what that means? It's done. Done. Nothing you can add to it. He extends it. And what he would have us believe, by that one sacrifice, he has 
taken out of the way sin as a barrier between you and God. That's what it's saying. If he didn't do that, he wouldn't have sat down. Now, it, now I get some of you are raising questions, and I would too. Hey, wait, 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 Mike. If I believed I was forgiven, you know what the deal is? If you believe you, be, you were forgiven, you know what that would make you? A Christian. That's what a Christian believes. That Jesus replaced the old forgiveness, which you had to do it again and again and again with the new forgiveness that you don't have to do again and again and again. You know what that means? And again, that means that when you believe it, your sin cannot create a separation between you and God because the offering to take the sin out of the way has already been done and Jesus is sitting. You sin and he doesn't, he doesn't say, okay, here it is. I have to offer another five bucks of forgiveness. You're coming to me all the time. You know, some of you shouldn't even drive cars. You know, you're cursing all the people in the road and I have to shell out, boy, ten, another ten bucks worth of forgiveness. And it's kind of funny, but you, but you know, some of you know exactly what I mean. <laughs> um. You know what Jesus doesn't do when you sin? He doesn't stand up. Doesn't need to. Doesn't need to do anything because it's already been done. That thing, the thing that needed to happen in order for your sins to be taken out of the way, to not constitute a separation between you and God. It's already done. He's sitting down. And you know what our point, you know what we do then? What do we have to do? Believe it. We believe it. And when we believe it, it makes it real. Uh, the old covenant priest never sat down. Again, a seated priest is a guarantee of a finished work. New forgiveness need not be repeated. Um, it says again, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This cleansing that comes is, it doesn't need to be repeated. So when you say, Jesus, I believe that you died and I believe your sacrifice cleanses me, when that's how you become a Christian, by placing your faith in that. Some of us, we do that by asking Jesus into our life. I remember doing that, but you don't have to ask what you... You just have to believe it. You have to hear it. And you have to believe it. And sometimes in churches we hear it, but then it gets scrambled. Well, you're kind of forgiven, but you're kind of not. You are forgiven, but you need to ask for forgiveness. Can that happen at the same If you're forgiven, do you need to ask for forgiveness? If you're forgiven, do you need to ask for forgiveness? Now, might you confess, might you say, God, I messed up, but do you need to confess your sin in order for God to extend forgiveness? The answer is, the answer is right, exactly right, no. No. You know what that means? I think, Christ, if, if you die with an unconfessed sin, is that going to damn you? 
No. No. That sin you did yesterday, can that separate you from God? Can it separate you from God? If you think it can separate you from God, can it separate you from God? Ah, that's interesting, isn't it? If you think it can separate you from God, can it separate you from God? It all, it's, I see, it's a tricky question. Can it separate you from God as far as He's concerned? Can it separate you from God as far as you're concerned? Absolutely. And you know what He says? Believe it. Because we need to believe it. Because that's what Christians do. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means that those who receive it are clean, and we don't have to require another repetition to be cleansed. Under the new covenant, God remembers our sins no more. Complete cleansing marks the beginning of the Christian life. You know what God does? To, and this is the beginning of the Christian life. He offers you a clean bill of spiritual health. That's what begins the Christian life. That's what starts it. And over time, you look at it, and you start to understand... Does this mean that I am forgiven? And it starts to sink down. You know what happens when you understand that you're forgiven? You start to want to develop a relationship with you. Would you agree with me that it's hard to believe that somebody who is judging you loves you? If you fear God's judgment, can you accept his love? If you fear God's judgment, can you accept his love? You can't. You can't. That's why he takes the fear of judgment out of the way. This is surprising because it's kind of heard, but kind of not. Would you agree with me? It's kind of heard and kind of not and kind of so and kind of. And the Bible is not. It's pretty clear about it. I mean, there's there's not much waffling here. Some of you say, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, Mike. Like, how about? Well, look what it says in First John 1, 9. Hmm. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ah, that, you know what John is talking about here? The problem John is addressing is not that people are not confessing their sins. I want you to listen to me. Because this is a verse that mixes a lot of people up. John is not dealing with people who aren't confessing their sins. He's dealing with people who are confessing that they are not sinners. He's talking to people who are confessing, saying out loud, I don't need Jesus because I never sin. That's what John is dealing with. And the point is, if you confess I'm a sinner and I need for Jesus once and for all sacrifice to cleanse me, what John's doing is he's wanting these people to become Christians because somebody who doesn't believe that they're a sinner, can that person be a Christian? No. See, do you understand? That's what John's dealing with here. He's not throwing penalty flags at people who aren't confessing their sins, saying, you better confess your sin because God will cleanse you if you do. No, that's not the point in this passage. He's dealing with people, again, who are confessing that I don't sin. They're not Christians. 
And what John is trying to get them to do is acknowledge that you're a Christian. But fortunately, Jesus did a once and for all sacrifice. So if you'll own up to the fact that you're a sinner, that you can receive this once and for all forgiveness that he offers. That's the point here. That's what, and it is important to place our faith in forgiveness. In fact, faith in forgiveness is the foundation of the Christian life. Look what it says in Second Peter 1. It says, whoever lacks these qualities, it talks about a lot of qualities. It talks about faith, virtue, godliness, self-control, goodness, brotherly kindness and love, the kind of qualities that we all want to see developed in our life. And he goes through a list of these qualities. What he then indicates is what it is that would keep these qualities from being developed. And look what it says. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. You know what's describing here? A foundation and a house that goes on top of it. To put it another way, a substructure and a superstructure. The superstructure is the kind of life that you want to live. You want to be a good person, a person who can exhibit self-control. You want to be loving. You want to be kind. You want to have knowledge. That's the superstructure. The thing that, that shows, evidences who it, what you're like, and that those qualities are dependent on the substructure. The substructure is believing you're forgiven. That's what this passage indicates. If these qualities are not in evidence, the problem is not what's above the surface. The problem is what's underneath the surface. Faith in forgiveness is the foundation of the Christian life. When our belief in that forgiveness goes deep, the superstructure of the qualities that he wants us to evidence will grow. I'm going to say that again. As the root of our faith in forgiveness is deep, it will allow the superstructure of the qualities to develop. If that root is not deep, there might be some superstructure, but it's going to die away because faith in forgiveness is the lifeblood of the Christian life. The lifeblood. So, you, so a question might come up then. Then does everybody benefit from this? If Jesus died for the sins of the world, is everybody forgiven? And the answer is no. Um, the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. See, you can get good news, but good news can't benefit you if you don't believe it. You know what God wants you to believe? Old forgiveness is out and new forgiveness is in. By one offering, Jesus has perfected for all time. He's covered your sins, all of them. 
past, present, and future. You know what he wants you to do? Believe it. Your sin cannot cause God to turn his back on you. It can't. Sin causes issues, but not from God to us. And you know what's going to happen as we come to place our faith and confidence in that forgiveness? It's going to provide us with the kind of spiritual energy that will allow us to become the people that God wants us to be. Uh, faith and forgiveness makes it real. Uh, I asked a question, and, and well, let me tell you what happened. I had always wondered about this, and I, I knew that there was something I was hearing from these individuals who tried to teach me about the Bible that was an awful lot like where I grew up, and I liked some of my growing up. But it didn't square with what I saw in the Bible. So anyway, what ended up happening um, over years, we did a retreat in uh, Inspiration Hills. And we were talking about confession and forgiveness and stuff like that. And I was wrestling through these things. And then it hit me. I'll never forget it. I, it, was, it was in a morning. And what I knew, and some of you know as well, confession means to say the same thing as. That's what confess means. It's from a Greek word, hama, legeo. Hama is the same. Legeo, logos, is the same. So when you confess your sins, you are saying what God says about your sins. That makes sense? Confession is to say what God says about your sins. What occurred to me, and I said, that's it. I remember, I did, I think I, I actually, I think I actually did. I was writing and I think I actually didn't stop my fingers. I, what occurred to, it, it came to me. All those questions that I had started to surface way before at the University of Pennsylvania, am I forgiven or not? And what is confession? And, and how should I do this? Then it occurred to me, you know what confession is? There are four things. You remember there's four statements that describe what the new covenant is? God in me, putting his law in my heart, God with me, causing me to know him, good ahead of me, guaranteed, for he's helios to my unrighteousnesses and remembers my sins no more. I, I had learned this in the new covenant. God's in me, God's with me, good's ahead of me, guaranteed. You could remember those things. We talk about those. Saying, think it to yourself. You, God's in me, God in me, God with me, good ahead of me, guaranteed. Do you know what confession means? It means you, you swipe that guy off. This guy you're driving. Some of us have driving issues. Okay. And then you, you, you do some things, you say some things you wish you hadn't have said and done. And then what confession, you know what confession is? You know what, God, I really wish I didn't flip that guy off. <laughs> but you're still in me. And you're still with me. And good's still ahead of me. Guaranteed. I have not rescinded 
any of your promises by what I just did. You blow up at somebody. Talk to God, God, I really wish I hadn't done that. But you're still in me. And you're still with me. And good's still ahead of me. Guaranteed. You reach for that thing, that addiction. The thing that you wish you weren't addicted to. Whatever it is. You take it. And there's a lot of different addictions out there. Things we do to try to decrease the tension. And you say, I wish I hadn't done that. You know what you do? You know what to say? If you confess, you say what God says about it. Even though I did that thing. Even though I had that fall. Even though I messed up. What you're telling me in the Bible is you're still in me. And you're still with me. And good's still ahead of me, guaranteed. I'm going to tell you something. We automatically think at some deep place in us that we are disconnected from God when we sin. And what I'm going to ask you to do is when you sin, I'm going to ask you to confess four things. And I'm going to ask you to think about them and continue to think about them because as the roots of your faith go down deeper into them, it's going to change you. It doesn't feel right. It feels like we're getting ourselves off. It feels like we need to be harsher with ourselves. What you need to tell yourself is what God tells you. Would you agree? And you know what God tells you? I am in you. And I am with you. And good's ahead of you, guaranteed. And when you do that, again, does that make sense? When you sin, okay, I want you to think about that thing you did yesterday or the day before. Don't tell anybody. You don't have to talk to a priest. Talk to him. I want you to think about that thing. The thing you'd be ashamed to be able to, if you had to say it out loud. God already knows it. You know what he wants you to believe? He's still in you. He's still with you. But still ahead of you, guaranteed. Because by one offering, Jesus has offered a forgiveness that will never be taken. That's what he wants us to believe. You know what communion is? Communion is when we, on a monthly basis, think about forgiveness. Once for all forgiveness. And so as you take the bread and the juice, what I want you to do is remember four things. You're still in me. You're still with me. Good still ahead of me, guaranteed, because Jesus brought a new covenant that brings a new forgiveness. So sometime during the course of this, grab the elements, drink the, drink the juice, eat the bread, and remember those four statements. Let me pray for us. Father, we mess up and we do things wrong and we do things we wish we didn't do and we hurt people. What you would have us believe is that Jesus' sacrifice for sins allows for a forgiveness once and for all. It doesn't need to be repeated. It can't be repeated. Jesus is sitting. He's already affected that which we need, forgiveness. And what you would have us do 
is believe it. It feels like you're letting us off a little too easy sometimes. Some of us believe we need a punch in the nose. We need to be scolded. You know better than we do. If we're going to love you, we can't fear your judgment. And it's really hard to believe that forgiveness is as complete as you tell us it is. So I guess what I'd ask, it's important that we believe it. Would you continue to do that work in our life and in our hearts? Would you cause the root of our faith in your forgiveness to go deeper and deeper and deeper into us? This doesn't happen quickly, but as it happens, it brings strength. We want to be who you would have us to be. You would have us be sons and daughters who believe that you're in us and with us and good and that good's ahead of us guaranteed. I ask you to continue to allow us to believe that more and more as we think about it week by week. In Jesus' name, amen.